any sane man or woman would want to choose it because it promises blessing. Not curses, but blessing. And so we see here two, two lifestyles, two ways of living that open up for us. And Jesus spoke somewhat of the same in Matthew chapter 7. There's this broad way and there's this, what, narrow way. And so tonight I would like to say that we are like people on a trek. We're on a trail and it comes to a why. It's splitting. And we have to make a choice between two paths. And right out of the gate, right out of the onset in Psalm chapter 1, we come across the description between, I'm oh, sorry, when we come out of the, the, you know, the first verse, the Psalm 1 is actually offering us what? Blessing. Right out of the onset, it's promising us blessing so that we can actually seize true happiness. It says what? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. The Bible is offering us not this superficial, fleeting happiness, this elusive goal line that keeps changing, it's always changing and shifting this white stag that we can never capture. No, it's actually offering us this deep-seated joy that comes from seizing the grace of God in our lives. We're seizing it by making a choice. And as we read the first verse of Psalm 1, we're still in verse 1. <laughs> we see a description between three people. It says, there's the wicked, the sinner, and the what? The scoffer. It's painting this picture of this downward spiraling staircase of how someone could become seated in a lifestyle of sin. It says what? It says he walks, then he stops and stands, and finally the person he walks, he sits down. And that's how it is for us. We, we give influence to, to someone else, to listen to them, to admire them, to desire them, to med- meditate on the choices that they make. And lo and behold, over time, we keep doing that. What happens? We begin to allow their lives to counsel our lives. Then secondly, we make an identification with them. We begin to mirror their lifestyles. So if we allow ourselves to be counseled by someone and we mirror their life enough, what happens? We, over time, become just like them. We become, like Psalm 1 says, seated with them. We get counted as one of the number, one of the family. So saying that on the other side of the coin, we would say, hey, well, who is this blessed man that we're talking about? Who is he? Who is this blessed man? And there seems to be an ideal man that God wants to bless. There's this type of person that God is searching for. And the type of person that God is searching for is a person that has not what? He has not sinned. He's he's not someone that mingles with sin. He is someone that delights in the law of the Lord who makes a conscious choice to sit himself under the teaching and instruction of God's word. And I would say that on one side, walking this way is very easy, but on the other side, it's extremely difficult. Maybe some of us in this room would say, that's impossible. That's literally impossible. And the kinds of things that God spoke in the Old Testament, the OT to his people was what? Only bow down to Yahweh, only worship me. Don't make any images or idols. Keep the Sabbath. Tell the truth. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. It's not what we would say is rocket science, right? It's like it's 10 things. It's not a, math, a mathematical equation that someone has to solve. God's not really expecting anything very complicated from us, right? But the thing is, the expectation of God's law 
is a narrow way. Like Jesus was saying, it's this narrow way that somehow grates against our human instincts and intuitions, right? Because you and I, we like to elevate ourselves as the center of our universes, right? We like to elevate ourselves as the center of our universe. We like to save our worship and loyalty for ourselves, right? We like to hedge our bets with who and what we bow down to. We like to uh, worship in ways that are convenient and take the, the least amount of sacrifice. Some of us, like myself, like to treat my wicked like it's my own, like it belongs only to me. And people, we, we can live in ways that we're really not inclined to listen to God anyway and to follow anything, any precepts or instructions that he has for us. And I have learned just through a little bit of reading that that there's a problem with verse 1. And we're still in verse 1. <laughs> that there's a problem in verse 1. The grammar usage of verse 1 indicates that there's a requirement. Oh, how many people hate that word? There's a requirement. There's this, there's this call to complete and utter obedience, full stop. So to recap, blessings, the blessings of Psalm 1 are for individuals who are and have always been separate from, what did I say earlier, from sin. So saying that, who on earth can lay hold of the blessings of Psalm 1? It would seem to some of us that God is dangling this metaphorical carrot in front of our faces, these promises of blessing that, you know, that no one in this room could attain, including myself. So who, is, who can take hold of these blessings? And maybe in one shape or form, if we just really take stock that Maybe we can find identification with those three, type, three types of people in the first line. Maybe at some juncture in time in our life, we've been those people, the sinner, the scoffer. We've been them at some point in time. But friends, might I suggest in the opening verse of Psalm 1 that Psalm 1 is pointing to someone else. Because if we take stock and say that, that this person that's supposed to be blessed by Psalm 1, I can't, I can't attain that in my own merit, in my own strength. It's pointing away from me. It's pointing to someone else. Might I suggest tonight that that's actually pointing away from us to Jesus himself. When I say that he's pointing to Jesus himself and on, conveniently on this side of history where we're seated, we can look back in retrospective view at Jesus's life, his sinless and obedient life that earned him God's blessing, right? God exalted him above all of creation and sat him at the right, his right hand at the throat of God. Jesus is this very, the, very, uh, the very blessed man of Psalm 1. And the good news, as in the, the gospel narrative, narrative, is that the blessings of Psalm 1 become ours through Jesus' obedience. That's something to celebrate. We have been joined together with Jesus through our faith in his death and his resurrection. And if we are in Christ... Our lives are wrapped up in his, and his life is wrapped up in ours. That is something to be excited about and to celebrate. In his death, he took our sinfulness, and in his death, we received his what? His righteousness, his obedience being counted as ours. So all of the psalm, all of the blessings of Psalm 1 come rushing into us. They come rushing into us because of his faithfulness, because of his obedience and our faith. Our faith. 
But the psalm goes on to say, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man who loves God's word, loves the holy scriptures. So those who inherit the blessings of Psalm 1 are those that love God with their heart and their, their mind. A true sign of them coming to faith, being this hunger, this desire to get the word of God in them, to devour it. That is a sign of their coming to faith. And the word law in Hebrew is Torah, which means instruction. And it often refers to the laws of Moses, but in the context that we're speaking tonight, it's talking about it's talking about the Psalms, but also just scriptures as a whole. And the thing that we read in this psalm is that the blessed man discovers unattainable joy in God's word, one, because he loves God first, and two, because he wants to learn how to please him. He loves God first, and he wants to learn how to please him. So we delight in God's word only when we delight in God first and foremost. Let me say that again. We, we delight in God's word when we delight in God first and foremost. And, there, and if we're honest, there are people that don't delight in God's word because they are not humble enough to be taught. They're not humble enough to take outside perspective on how to live their lives in a healthy manner. So a love for God, a love for God's instruction is almost impossible for them. Because we love being what? The center of our own universes. But the blessed man is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And the word meditate here means to mutter, to utter. There's this sense of talking to oneself. Like having a conversation with yourself as your mind engages the Holy Scriptures. Is there anyone here tonight that would be bold enough to say they talk themselves? Oh, dude, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm a verbal processor, and it has happened today. I mean, this is really funny. Um, my son has busted me so many times talking to myself. It's usually in the car. He's like, Dad, Dad, who are you talking to? Dad, are you on your phone? Dad, what did you say to me? I was taking a bike ride with him today. And I'm talking to myself right next to him. He's like, Dad, who are you talking to? Dad, who are you talking to? God bless him. But the, the great thing is with Psalm 1, it, it encourages us to talk to ourselves. It, it encourages us to speak aloud the truths of God as they engage our cognitive faculties. And we truly cannot be influenced by something we don't understand. Let that sit. We can't be influenced by something we don't understand. We just can't. It doesn't make any sense. So the goal of meditating God's word, God's word is to look at it for such a lengthy duration of time that we come to see, we come to have this revelation of its beauty so much so that it, it gives us this burden. It changes everything in our innermost consciousness. So scripture, when we meditate on it, has the power to awaken our hearts to discover, but maybe for some of us to rediscover the joy that is to be found in Jesus himself. Scriptures have the power to awaken us to the joy that, to be, that is to be found in Jesus himself. And as we look forward into verse 3, we're just getting to verse 3, there's a promise of increase. God's favor resting on the blessed man. This psalmist painting this rendering of the green and flowing blessings of the righteous. 
ones that starkly contrast the way of the wicked, right? These promises that kind of echo, if you've read Genesis, the garden of what? The garden of Eden. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And if you notice here, it's super interesting. If you notice here, the tree is not haphazardly growing. It's not. It says it's what? It's planted. There's intentionality done by the master gardener, the master landscaper himself. There's loving intent on the locale of this tree. The master gardener has planted it because he knows where it's going to thrive. He knows where it's going to increase. And God chooses the place for our good. He chooses where he plants us for our good. He knows how to bring beauty and good order into the world through us. So he knows where to plant us, and there's purpose. That's what I'm saying. There's purpose and a plan for the life of every believer. There is you and I. There's, there's a purpose. There's a plan. The tree is planted by streams of life-giving water, and it is God who is doing the planting, not you and I. And as we continue to meditate on God's word, it says that we will produce what? Fruit in every season of life. The psalmist is not being specific to name the fruits because he possibly sees that they are innumerable, that they're unquantifiable. The godlier man now has this potential of producing things like thanksgiving in seasons of plenty, faith in seasons of doubt, patience in suffering, peace in turmoil, mercy when wrong, gentleness when falsely accused, strength in temptation, humility in leadership, and prayer. Prayer in every season, that is a fruit. And when the seasons of life are being scorched up around us, when all of the grass is being burned up, we can count on that blessing of Psalm 1 that our lives will be nourished because God has planted us by that stream of life-giving water. And the amazing thing is our foliage will never wither to the dismay of the unbelieving world. Our lives being a what? A testament to God's grace and his power in the believer's life. And the crazy thing is in God's economy, he often works through what? Suffering, through pain and suffering. When we come to know Jesus long enough, we know that our lives are supposed to mirror his. And Jesus didn't skimp out on suffering, did he? He walked through it. And we will do the exact same thing. So there is purpose to our pain and our confusion and our suffering. The work that God commissions us to do in the location that he has masterfully planted us will prosper when we make a choice to faithfully stay the path of the blessed and turn away from the way of the wicked, which is a rejection of him, a lack of acknowledgement of him and his ways. When we make a choice to meditate on his word, day and night when we bathe in it. There's this promise of increase because you know there's an alternative, right? From reading Psalm 1, there's an alternative to choosing other. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that is the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. And maybe you and I would describe the way of the wicked as rootless, weightless, useless, lacking self-worth, being fickle, 
And if we really think about the word chaff, the husk of the grain, it's only in the way of what's useless or is used for. The chaff is only in the way of what's actually really needed, what's really important. And if we're talking about people sometimes, just sometimes, an empty, an empty husk of a person is it's not easily seen because you and I know really well how to what? Mask things. And it even can be us that attend church week in and week out. We learn the lingo. We learn how to behavior modify and, and fit ourselves in. But lo and behold, the, the winnowing in the wind will come and reveal the real truth. Anyone who's lived an ounce of life would say, all it takes is a crisis, right? Your car breaks down, your kids get sick. Someone dies in your family, you lose your job, you get transferred. There's a lockdown. All it takes is a crisis to reveal the spiritual condition of our lives, right? It's true. But the reason that the godly flourish, looking back to Psalm 1, the reason that the godly flourish is because the master gardener is watching over their lives. It's God himself. He's the one that we're anchoring into. He's the one that is nourishing our lives. In the band, you guys can come back up as we close. So church, we find ourselves living in this tension. We're living in this tension between awaiting the promises of Psalm 1. Have you been there? Waiting for the promises, waiting for your, the fruition of your prayers. We're awaiting the promises of Psalm 1 as we walk out the minutia in the messiness of our lives. Those promises that we now again or maybe again have learned tonight that we can claim because of Christ's obedience being counted is ours. Not based on anything that we've done. No merit of our own. But with great wisdom and an unwavering love for God and a desire to truly learn how to please Him, we anchor ourselves into the Holy Scriptures. We do. We anchor ourselves into the Holy Scriptures and we allow them to speak to us. We bathe ourselves in them. We allow the Holy Scriptures to guide us, to inform us, to encourage us. And might I just dare say that we allow those Scriptures when we delight in them to stir up the love that already exists for the lover of our souls. The one who fashioned us in His image. So two things tonight. Let's have confidence that because of our faith, we can claim Christ's obedience, His righteousness, that we can stand firm in that truth. And two, let's be a church that delights in the law of the Lord. Let's be a church that loves the Holy Scripture, that bathes in them. One, because we love God, but two, because we want to learn how to please Him. But also, two, Psalm 1 promises that there will be intentionality to where we are planted. That our lives won't be haphazard and there'll be increase, we'll be nurtured by God himself. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. God, I just believe that you are doing a work here tonight from worship and all the way through the message. That you are reminding us of your faithfulness and that your faithfulness can be counted as ours now. And that we serve a God of intentionality who cares for us deeply. <laughs> who has given us a clear-cut way to blessing. 
that we'll be anchored in exactly where we need to be anchored in, which is you, and that you will nourish us, that you will give us increase, that our foliage, is, our foliage will not wither or fade, and our lives will be a testament of your goodness, of your mercy and your grace. So have your way with your people here tonight. I pray your goodness upon them, that your face would shine upon them. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.